natural disasters devastate two North African countries just days apart. A 6.8 magnitude earthquake shook the western High Atlas mountain region of Morocco on Friday. It was the largest recorded quake in that area in more than a century. The estimated death toll so far is close to 3,000, with thousands more injured. Now on Monday, Mediterranean storm Daniel brought torrential rains to the desert country of Libya. The force of the flood broke two dams, destroyed much of the port city of Derna, and in some cases, washed whole communities out to sea. 10,000 people are missing, and it's estimated that more than 5,000 are dead. So joining us now to give an update on relief efforts is Amina Demir, the COO of Zakat Foundation of America. That's an international relief organization that's based here in the Chicago area. Welcome back to the show, Amina. Good to see you. Thank you for having me again, Sasha. So, I mean, first, right off the bat, your reaction to these not one but two disasters. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing this pattern of natural disasters, specifically across the region, across the globe. Um, but they're happening more frequently and they're becoming more intense. And it's unnerving, despite as long as I've been in this field and this line of work, um, there's no way to get used to it or accustomed to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine you, you bring this up. This is your daily work, yeah. right? Yeah. But another one and then another one happens, right? I, I can imagine the, the headache. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I think the frustration that I face is that the moment we seemingly get a grasp on one region, as you know, I was here with Turkey, the yes. earthquake in Turkey, um, we finally found some stability and it's like immediately our resources are reallocated to another region with the same type of intensity. So there's no numbing over, there's no becoming accustomed to it. Um, it's a day-to-day -day thing for sure. Yeah. Well, let's, let's focus on Morocco first. Yeah. We're just a few days in here. So talk about what you've been hearing from partners about like what supplies are most needed right now? Yeah, so the blessing with the Cap Foundation of America is that our focus is emergency relief. So it's that immediate response. Um, we're very well, we're very well versed in it. Um, so immediately, our team in Turkey landed September 10th, um, and we're focusing on tents, um, floor mats, food, wash distribution. So that's water, sanitation, hygiene kits. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really all that we can do at the moment. And then, of course, assessing. We do have an established partnership in Morocco that focuses on the orphan sponsorship program and our livestock program and vocational training. Okay. However, that's, you know, that's going to happen in months. Right now, it's just a matter of stability, stabilizing these people. Well, what's the future plan for that? I plan? mean, I'm hoping it all really depends on like the possibility with the local government. What we know about emergency relief response, it's the capacity that the government can allot at the moment. So whether that's providing long-term housing, mm -hmm. like we did in Turkey, or even just temporary education, like we did in Afghanistan. Um, so it really does all vary. And like I said, it's gonna take at least 60 days to get to that point of stabilization. So this earthquake in uh, Morocco, this occurred in the mountains, as I mentioned. Yeah. Orient us, how difficult is it then for crews to reach the yeah. folks that need the help. Yeah, it's so crazy because like, unless you're in this line of work, you're not even aware of the geographical setup right. and the difficulty that you face. You know, this is not a metropolitan or um, area whatsoever. So not only is it difficult, you know, accessing the region, we're talking about getting these supplies to a very, very mountainous area. Um, and then also, I hate to say this, but when people are when people are in a more rural state, there's definitely a state of mind as far as like, you know, these international NGOs coming and like assisting. Mm. So there's also that cultural component. What do you like, mean? You just have to be sensitive. These people are these people tend to be and I don't see these people because my father is one of these people. But these people tend to be very prideful and honorful. So if you're walking around as like an NGO, as an international NGO and you're passing out food or water, there's always some 
some skepticism. Like, what's the end game? Like, mm. what are you doing here? You're going to just come drop off some food and leave. So does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and just even talking more about the terrain, too, in trying yeah. to get that help. I mean, I, I'm reading here, there's often single roads that yeah. lead in and out of certain areas, Dirt right? Roads, yeah. yeah. Roads are getting blocked by debris. Yeah. Causing traffic. So the region, as I mentioned, hadn't recorded such a powerful earthquake in more than 100 years. Many yeah. of the buildings actually weren't built to withstand such a shock. There's one expert who said, uh, it's not earthquakes that kill people, it's buildings. Yeah. What do you make of that? Yeah, 100%. Um, again, I hate to keep referencing back to Turkey, but I just have never been so invo involved in an emergency relief response. But until then. Until then. And so with what's happening with Turkey is that all of these architects that had constructed these buildings are now there's follow-up, these lawsuits, because the buildings were constructed so poorly. And so Morocco, specifically in this region, you know, these buildings are not made with the same type of um, technological advances to withstand such an earthquake. Um, and it's absolutely right. You know, it's the people that are being pulled out from underneath the rubble. Yeah, that's very true. My goodness. Talk more about who you're partnering with and, and where you're funneling resources from. Yeah, so at the moment, majority of our partners in Morocco are located in, again, metropolitan areas. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that people don't take into consideration when you're working in these very, very rural areas, something as simple as like a wire transfer, getting from point A to point B. This is not like Bank of America sending it to JP Morgan. Um, we're talking about going through like five different steps, vetting each and every one of those financial institutions, and ultimately getting those funds to one area, purchasing foods, resources, whatever may be available, and then dispersing them accordingly. Um, it's not so simple as like, you know, going to Western Union, doing a wire transfer, and you can disperse $5,000 cash to these people. Um, it's definitely a timely process, but I mean, we're very, very blessed because our established partnerships have been, we've been working in Morocco since 2016. And so, um, like I said, our local partners, they immediately wrote a response, and then our office in Turkey, mm -hmm. they got there September 10th. Yeah, I mean, as, as you're talking about just the, the wire transfers and just the logistical yeah. piece of things that, that, again, won't come to mind for, for a lot of us. Yeah. You're moving supplies from Turkey mm -hmm. to Morocco, right? Yeah. It just sounds like a game of, of chess. Yeah, always, always. I mean, and it's all on an airplane. That's how we got majority of our resources. And I hate to say this, our the emergency the crisis that happened in Syria really put us in a certain position because we have all of these materials readily available to us. Mm -hmm. Like, And again, like addressing the situation in Turkey, we had all the material av readily available to us. So it was just a matter of, you know, taking this plane, multiple plane trips, actually. I think it was three separate of my colleagues who went with like three separate um, carry-on luggages with just supplies and resources. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of pieces. Goodness. And I'm thinking recovering from this, uh, from what happened in Morocco, that's going to take some time, right? So, I mean, yeah. how long do you folks plan on providing aid? What are the conversations like? Again, oh, yeah. you're trying to, you've got many organizations, governments involved. What is the communication like yeah. trying to get all parties involved in such a stressful time? It's so Amina. crazy. I was on this call a few days ago with um, a representative from San Diego State, and we were discussing how NGO sector is not, so it's definitely not a non-for-profit world, but you still have these egos, Sasha. And I hate to say that because you have so many altering non-for-profits that are trying to get the same end goal, mm -hmm. but there's like this silent competition. And I was just, the way I view it is um, as a humanitarian, if everyone is working at the same mechanism, 
we can make this function, right? Yeah. So like if we are able to negate, you know, egos and like I can do this better, I can do that better, we can get the we can get the job done and we can make this a long term sustainable effort. Um, luckily, we have a really good relationship with the local government. You know, we don't have any issues. Sometimes that plays a role. Yeah. Um, so that won't be an issue. But again, it's just a matter of like let's get all hands on deck. Whatever you're good at, let's focus and let's go from there. Yeah. And I think the key that you said there too is, I mean, we all have the same end goal. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. So let's turn now to Libya in the time that we have left. I mean, I mean, Derna is a port city on the Mediterranean coast. The flooding, I understand, that's also made it hard for yeah. relief crews to access the city. Yeah. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. And as you stated, um, the back-to-back -back impact of these two natural disasters, we've only been able to assess Libya. We haven't even been able to get anyone on the ground. I mean, we have... We've done um, food distribution in Libya in previous years, but we haven't been able to find a sound partnership. Um, and oh. that, you know, yeah, that just takes a lot of, you know, they have to be an approved international NGO. They have to have like a stable bank account. There are a lot of moving parts. So establishing these partnerships take sometimes months, if not years. How does that hinder the process then? You know, the people can't really receive aid. And I hate to say that, and I hope I don't sound callous, but that's just the reality of it, especially being an American NGO and you're working in these hotspot regions. You know, it's not, it's not as easy as it seems and you have to you have to take a step back and ask yourself like okay is this is this region not going to receive aid so i can provide aid to these eight different regions mm -hmm. or am i going to risk sending money to this one region having our accounts frozen and then xyz plays out um so right now libya we're really truly just assessing and we're trying to find that local ngo that's approved vetted so on and so forth i see yeah the the other issue at play there is uh Two warring governments, right? Yeah. One in the east and one in the west. Yeah. Uh, uh, Libya. They they've pledged to work together on this, though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, taking a step back, greater good, right? Yeah. Um. So you talked about sort of the the difficulties there, but once you do make that connection and, and sort of secure uh, a partner to work with, what kind of aid do you plan on providing then? Yeah. What's I mean, the, what's the goal? Yeah. Same. Um. Same thing. The CAF Foundation has really, really perfected the concept of emergency relief. We assess, um, evaluate, provide, and then you look at the long-term sustainability. And in my mind, um, coming from two very educated parents, in my mind, education is the basis mm -hmm. of all forms of sustainability for a yeah. region, a country, a group of people, whatever may have you. Um, so once we can get that approved NGO, we'll send the transfer, you know, whatever that amount may be, whatever is allotted at the moment, mm -hmm. um, and then provide, again, just the Im immediate relief. So hygiene kits, food, clean water, um, floor mats. I was looking at this video. I have a seven-year-old daughter. I was looking at this video of this little girl who got a floor mat in Morocco and she was um, she was like so ecstatic and like it just like hits differently like a floor a mat, floor mat. Yeah. you know. Um, so that's what that's what we plan on doing. We'll go from there. You know you mentioned already that the last time you were on this show was when uh, it was just after the catastrophic earthquake that uh, took place earlier in, in mm -hmm. Turkey and in, in Syria. What else can you tell us about the recovery efforts and the situation on the ground there now? I, uh, earlier you talked about, you know, we had finally sort of found yeah. our footing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What so, did that look like? Um, so we were gifted, I don't want to say gifted, but the local government donated um, a lot of land in Adiyaman, which was one of the local, which was one of the areas that was struck really badly by the earthquake. And so we've established this tent village. And there's a, I have really conflicting emotions towards this because one thing you don't want to do is like normalize living in a village of tents and the calf foundation in my opinion i'm clearly biased but in my opinion we've truly perfected it we've allowed we've allowed it to normalize the situation um but there's like that really fine line because mm -hmm. like how do we what's that long-term goal are we going to get people back in apartments are we going to rebuild these apartments my aunt i think i told you last time her apartment had collapsed she still hasn't we haven't addressed that mm. um but we're providing vocational training 
We have this mental health resource program. That's one thing I hope that we can do in Morocco. You know, again, when you're dealing with um, a select group of people, you know, mental health resources is something you do not talk about. But after these traumatic experiences, especially Turkey, people are having these panic attacks, yeah. you know, experiencing PTSD from these earthquakes. So it's holistic. It takes it, I, can't, I can't even believe it was February. Yeah. Goodness. Well, I mean, we are so grateful for the work that you continue to do. That's Amina Demir, COO of the Zakat Foundation of America. Thank you so much for Thank stopping you, by. Thank you for having me.